0: It's your host, Catherine Farley, and today I am in the virtual studio with Jeff Perkins, the CMO and head of product at Park Mobile. Thank you, Jeff, for joining me. And, Thanks for uh, having
1: me, Catherine.
0: Yeah, today we're going to discuss the office space, uh, ranking, marking priorities, and who you should make your BFF at work. So let's just get right into it. I met you through a uh, conference that G2 put on. And in it, you said something that really was quite funny to me that you, one of your first roles, maybe not one of your first roles, but earlier in your career, you worked on a Tide uh, laundry, or excuse me, dish detergent campaign, but you didn't have a dishwasher at the time. So my question to you is one, do you have a dishwasher now? And then two, how important is it for a marketer to understand and even be like the ideal customer of the product that they are marketing?
1: yeah it's it 's a great question I, you know I think overall you know, a good marketer doesn 't just rely on on his or her personal experience you know even even if you are the target audience, uh, you really owe it to yourself and to your brand to really dig deep and understand more about the the broader audience uh, a common mistake a lot of people make a lot of you know not just marketers but business people make. Is everything is about, well, I do it this way, so that must be right. Uh, and, and that really sets you up for trouble because just because you have a certain way you do things doesn't actually mean that that everybody does it the same way, right? And and that that's where you can get in in trouble and start to make bad decisions as a as a marketing team or as a as a business. So Your example of working on um, Tide laundry detergent is is a perfect one. So I was in my 20s living in Manhattan uh, in a 400 square foot apartment, no washer dryer. I sent my clothes out to the wash and fold every day. Yet I was very, very knowledgeable on the Tide target audience because I studied. Because we, you know, this was Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble is a great consumer products company. They are, they do tons of research. And so the great thing for me is I had all this research available, both qualitative and quantitative, and we did a ton of focus groups. Um, And that's how I learned and really understood on a very, very deep level, how our target audience interacted with our product, why they liked our product, why they didn't like our product, um, and then other things about their life. So I was, you know, probably more knowledgeable about, you know, the, the tied target audience than I was about, you know, myself at that time, I knew a ton about uh, the target audience. So as long as you're committed and you study and you read the research, you can be great in um, working on any brand. I think you don't necessarily have to be the audience to work on a specific kind of business. Now, I'll also say that it, when you are the user or the the audience, it is fun to work on those businesses because, um, my, my company now park mobile i'm a I'm a user of the product and it's really fun to to be a user of the product you're working on you know in a, on a consistent basis so there's a lot of benefit to working on products where you are you know you are the user you are the target audience but you don't always have to be
0: that's great and you know I I don't know about you but I I have found that people that are closer and identify more as the ideal customer, they almost put their own personal bias into their decisions, which sometimes can be great. Like they'll have these instincts that you just didn't think of. And sometimes it's like, that's really your own, that's your opinion. It's not fact. Um, Speaking of Park Mobile, uh, I find... I find it very annoying when I am parking somewhere and it is one of your competitors. It is not Park Mobile. And that's what's so interesting about your product is it's it's not like, okay, this is a bad comparison, but it's almost like if you love McDonald's and you're going and you're on a you know cross-country road trip and there's no McDonald's, you just get so frustrated because it's like it's the the consistent thing that you want and you expect. Park Mobile has that same kind of consistency for me when I'm least parking or when I was parking in the city. Yeah. Just a well, quick little and, side note.
1: And it's even worse than that, though, with Park Mobile, because if you have the Park Mobile app on your phone and it's all set up, it's just seamless when you're ready to park, right? Absolutely. And, you know, so like if you're going to, if you're looking for a McDonald's and there's only a uh, Burger King, well, it's still a burger. And, you know, whereas if you're looking to use Park Mobile and then you're in a city and it's one of our competitive apps, um, all right, I got to download the app and then I have to set up an account. I have to put my credit card in. I've set up my car. I mean, it's really, there's a lot of friction there, which is why, totally. you know, I mean, a core strategy for us is the more network we can build, the more cities we can get into, uh, the the harder it's going to be for other companies to compete with us because people just are not going to want to have five parking apps on their phone. It's no. just not something anyone's going to have a lot of, uh, tolerance for. So we feel like because we're the biggest, because we ha- are in the most locations around the country, we have the biggest audience, that's a real competitive advantage. And, and one that um, you know the companies that compete with us really have a hard time overcoming when we're in a competitive you know pitch situation.
0: Oh, because to- as a consumer, I don't want, like, I, I want you, got, I want the one that like my license plate is in there. Everything's already in there. I don't want to do it again. Uh, okay, sorry, just a quick tangent, um, as I do like, I don't, I'm a, I'm, I'm a hermit, I don't like to do new things, so I appreciate the Park Mobile app. Uh, okay, so second question, who doesn't like the office or office-based references, right? Um, you know, marketing can be, it's such a creative and fun job, but we can get beaten down so quickly and so easily if someone, you know, criticizes our, our idea or our budget get cut. So how do you stop yourself from becoming the Milton of your marketing department? I have found I've gotten in a Milton space from time to time, but how do you knock it off?
1: Yeah, it's, um, well, it, it's hard. I mean, your point is, is well taken that, um, you know, a lot of people are critical of marketing within the organization, and and you have to think about why why is that? Why are people critical of the marketing function? Um, the the answer is is because it's the most accessible. Like um, most people in the company, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, most people in the company aren't gonna like go into the CFO's office and like pull up a spreadsheet and be like you're you're accruing this all wrong, you know, or you're, you're depreciating these assets incorrectly. No, nobody does that, right? Um, nobody goes to the engineer who's working on the software and like, like pull up your code. I wanna like look at how you're, you know, you're structuring all of the code we're writing. Um, nobody does that yeah, because uh, it's not accessible, but an ad campaign, a marketing message, a brochure, a video, um, those are things that people can look at and say, well, I either like it or I don't like it. And you know, they're often, they often will tell you what they like or don't like because it's the one part of the business that is highly accessible and they understand, they watch a lot of ads or they see a lot of marketing. They're, everyone's a consumer of marketing. Uh, so everyone has some level of, of basic expertise. And so you're always gonna have people um, that are gonna have their opinions on what you do as a marketer within a company. And if you let that bum you out, you shouldn't be in marketing. <laughs> is the, the honest? That's the honest truth. Just like in sales, if you don't like hearing no a lot, you shouldn't be in sales, <laughs> because you know most salespeople are going to hear no most of the time. Um, and, and so you just have to uh, understand that uh, in your career choices that you know you're working in something that is um, up for a lot of interpretation from a lot of different people, and people will will be critical, but at the same time, uh, if you have a strong rationale for why you do what you do, and the impact it's going to have, um, usually most people will say, well, you're the expert. <laughs> you know, and, and take it from me, I work, you know, I've worked for, uh, directly for CEOs for my last couple jobs. Um, no one likes to criticize marketing campaigns more than the CEO of the company.
0: <laughs> totally. right.
1: Uh, but if you, as the marketing lead, have a strong rationale on why your idea is the best and why it's going to work, um, usually the CEO will agree with you. And, and you know, oftentimes, you know, when my CEO now, uh, he, he's got a lot of marketing ideas, but he'll always default to, to my expertise because he, you know, we've worked together for three plus years. He trusts me. He knows I'm doing the right thing for the business, and he also knows um, that, you know, marketing is not really his core competency. So he, you know, he defers to me on a lot of things, but at the same time, um, sometimes he has a good idea and, and sometimes other people from the organization have really good ideas. So, you know, you can't also can't be closed off to people who aren't in marketing, having great ideas. Cause you know, at the end of the day, a great idea could come from anywhere. And if you as a marketer aren't willing to listen and, um, Recognize that, hey, that even though that person's on marketing, they have a pretty kick-ass idea. Um, you know, you're, you're probably not doing your your company a great service. Uh, so, so that's kind of part one to your question. Part two, around the, the, how do you not be the Milton? Um, you know, I think I think if you feel like the Milton, and you know, for listeners, Milton is kind of the glum. I, I don't know how you would describe like that that glum kind of depressed guy who walks around mumbling. Um, and, you know, people kind of like, what does that guy do here? And, and no one really knows. So, um, I, I think from a career perspective, if you ever feel like the Milton in your company, um, you really need to start to figure out, is this the right company for me? Or is this the right job for me? Uh, cause it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very, you know, people often will get you know, depressed at certain points in their career or feel down or feel like they're not valued or not getting paid enough. Um, and at those times, you have to really figure out, is this, is this the right job for me? Is this something that, you know, is bringing me satisfaction in my life? And, and if it's not, you probably need to think about making making a change. Um, you know, it's, it, you, things don't necessarily just get better because you stay longer, right? You have to be very proactive in managing your career. To make sure you're, um, you know, you only have a certain amount of years to, to do what you're doing, and you want to make sure you're making those years count, and you're not just kind of, um, kind of just going with the flow and and, uh, and coasting. Um, if you know, especially if you're not happy, so so that's that's the way I always look at it. If if it's not working, um, you got to figure out a way to either make it work or make a change. Totally.
0: Now, two things. One. I am shocked that it was your dogs that barked first. I have, he, so just for listeners, Jeff has two dogs at home. I have five and I, my, I expected mine to start going off. So if that's what you heard or are about to hear, just know between the two of us, we have seven dogs in the background, which is a lot. Um, and then number two, so kind of to follow up on what we were talking about with like criticism, I have found, I totally agree with you on that. Like some of the best ideas that I've executed have come from people in sales and this, this last job I worked at this, this sales guy I worked with, his brother-in-law was a scout, is a scout for the Miami Marlins. And so he was able to do a webinar with us talking about, you know, is the is the baseball season going to launch and what's it going to look like? Which I, first of all, I'm not a sports person, so I never would have thought of that. And then two, obviously I don't know any scouts, so that was amazing. But on the opposite side of that coin, I have had more salespeople critique uh, events or, you know, critique swag than I can even count. So, and some of that is, I think, because, you know, people have thrown their own parties, people have given their own gifts. So that's, that's something about marketing that feels very tangible and understandable to someone that's not in marketing. So if you had to advise some quick wins that marketing could do to get on sales good side, what would they be and why? Yeah, i, I think
1: I think it's really important for marketing to spend a lot of time with sales. Uh, You know, I I think in high-functioning organizations that I've been a part of, marketing and sales were kind of connected at the hip. And in companies that were more dysfunctional and weren't performing as well, um, sales and marketing were basically operated in their own silo. And the problem when sales and marketing aren't connected is that you're kind of each doing your own thing and then at the end of the quarter, you kind of go up for your quarterly business review and then marketing goes up there and talks about how they've been crushing it and look at all these great campaigns. Aren't we awesome? And then sales gets up there and they basically say, well, we didn't hit our number because marketing didn't give us what we needed. And there's a lot of like this um, and- I can't help but laugh, that's so true. Yeah, and, and that happens in a lot of organizations and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, it happened in an organization I worked in um, you know, several years back where the CMO and the, and the CRO hated each other. And it, that was really tough because I was doing B2B marketing. We had B2B marketing and B2C marketing. So the CMO really cared about the B2C side of the marketing. He didn't care about B2B. But I knew for B2B to be successful, I needed to partner up with the sales guys. And so I spent a lot of time on the road, Um, going on like ride-alongs, going to regional sales meetings. This is a company that had about 1500 salespeople in the field. Um, And so I was out there. I was, I showed those guys, hey, I'm in the trenches with you guys. I understand what your challenges are, um, what, um, you know, what you do every day. And I understand why you win deals and why you don't win deals. And the, the more the sales guys saw me with them, the more they kind of realized that, Hey, you know, this guy's like gets it. I mean, that's a big thing with salespeople is that they want to understand people in corporate get it.
0: Get it yeah. Uh,
1: and so I was one of the people that, that got it. And um, and there was a lot of value to me getting it. And one is the sales guys were much more open with me and telling me what they needed and um, and being very, very critical of things, you know, things they were they were not getting and complimenting for things they were getting. And so It became a really, really good relationship with our sales team where we were bringing in a quarterly advisory board. They were looking at everything we were doing. They were giving us tons of ideas on um, new things we could be doing. They even looked at all of our messaging and said, hey, this messaging doesn't resonate, but this does. Or if you just change this messaging to say this, I think it would be more high impact. And the result was that our, our marketing got better by listening to the sales team. So uh, the the relationship between sales and marketing, I think, is essential. The other uh, thing that I found is that when I, I actually managed um, sales and marketing uh, for a time, so you can't be misaligned if you manage both, which is good. Um, even though as a career marketer, I was kind of shocked when I took over sales and then realized like, oh, shit, I have a quota. Um, <laughs> not super fun. Um, but... It was a great experience for me. And what it really taught me is that if if marketing and sales are really aligned, you could could be optimizing in real time. So so an example is that we were spending a a good amount on digital marketing, you know, Google AdWords and and social ads. And every day we had tens of thousands of dollars in the market um, in these campaigns designed to acquire customers. Um, and then our sales guys were following up with all these customers once we would acquire them and so in a normal organization you would you know maybe every like month or every quarter you'd say like oh how are the leads that came in this month or how are the leads that came in this quarter Um, my sales lead and my digital marketing lead were talking every day because they both reported to me and we were all totally aligned and so our sales lead would, he would pick up the phone he'd call our, our head of digital marketing and say, hey, what's going on over there? We're getting a ton of spammy leads in today. And then our digital marketing would look at the campaigns that were going out and be like, oh man, we're, something's going on with this campaign that's driving really low quality leads. Let's turn that off and let's put that money into this campaign that's driving high quality leads. So you're essentially optimizing your campaigns in real time based on feedback from the sales team on which leads are good and which leads are bad, the net impact of that on the organization is huge because all of your spend is now going into much more high impact tactics than it was previously. And so you're not just burning through company cash, you're actually spending everything in a much smarter way and, and driving you know, optimal results for the organization. So it's it's critical, you know, for whoever's listening to the, this this recording, I mean, if you're not aligned between sales and marketing, you got to figure out a way to get aligned. I think is, is the message. You got to figure out a way to build those relationships in your organization.
0: Totally, because without sales, I mean, marketing can't succeed. Yeah, and vice versa. Well, I mean, actually, sales could probably pr- they can they can be successful without marketing, but marketing can't be <laughs> successful without sales. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, I mean, you're you're exactly right. Sales, you know, if 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 sales is not successful you know, marketing is not successful. Right. And, you know, you like smart marketers have to kind of adopt that mindset that, you know, I could do the coolest stuff out there, but if the sales guys aren't closing deals, you as a marketing team are not successful and, and, and really understand that. And if you look at the world through that lens, it'll probably change the way you approach the sales team within, you know, within your organization.
0: Totally. So to quote yourself back to you, uh, the GT excuse me, the G2 summit, you said, "You can do anything, but you can't do everything." So for marketers listening to this right now, what things or what thing, do you suggest that they focus on, and what thing do you suggest they drop? if they're listening to this right now and they're looking at like what they're planning, like what do we need to drop webinars? Do we need to drop emails? Do we need to drop social? Do we need to refocus on direct mailers? What what should we be focused on?
1: Yeah, so you took it to a, a tactical level, which is which fair. Is um, <laughs> but I would actually take it up a level because it's it's important for for marketers to really focus on making an impact on the company, okay. So the way I would I would answer that question is to constantly look at all of your tactics through a lens of is this doing anything, like and and can I can I measure what it's doing, right? And so oh,
0: that's good. That's I, yeah. Good. So
1: I always like you know, and that doesn't mean you don't try new things either. Like you should always be trying and experimenting, but you know, at some point you have to say with a, you know, with a program or a tactic or anything you're doing, what is the impact on the business? And if if the answer is, I don't know, or we think it's working, or we've always done it this way, so we just keep doing it, those are the things you have to shut down. Uh, because, you know, the reality is, especially in today's day where, you know, you have COVID and marketing budgets are getting cut and marketing teams are getting downsized. um, You can't do all the stuff maybe you used to do. You you're not going to have the budgets to do it in most companies. So it's super important that marketers are focused, like laser focused on the things that are making the biggest impact and just going all in on those things and getting all the other stuff out of the way. I mean, it's, it's, it's critical. Uh, because, like you said, you you just railed off like like a lot of different like webinars and e newsletters and all that, that. Like each one of those things, it's a lot of work. And so you know, some te- some companies have teams that can do it all, and that's cool. Um, other companies can't. I mean, you have you know a, a marketing team of two to five to ten, just depending on how big you are. But you can't do everything you know, a marketer probably wants to do. You can't buy every piece of MarTech out there, right? Um, So you have to be very careful with how you allocate your resources, both your your financial resources and your human resources. And it, it all has to come back to one key thing. What's going to make the biggest impact on our business? And if you don't think about things that way and you only think about them in terms of, well, I want to do my campaign. Or you know, or I I want to do my social thing, or I want to do this webinar thing. um, You're missing, you're just missing it, Uh, because if it's not making an impact to the business in some tangible way, um, you're really you're you're not going to be successful. And and the way I I look at it, a lot of times is it's like a fill in the blanks exercise, kind of like a Mad Libs, right? Um, Where you want to say, all right, you know we are not growing faster as a business because of blank, or we are losing deals because of blank, or um, we missed our number because of blank. And so you wanna like do this exercise where you're identifying what are the critical problems in the business, fill in that blank. And then once you understand what that blank is, that's where you focus 100% of your energy. How do we fix that? Because marketers you know, at, at our core, we are problem solvers. We are problem solvers for a business, right? People don't know our brand. Okay, that's a problem. Let's go solve that. Let's build awareness. Uh, we're not getting enough leads. Okay, that's a problem. Let's go develop some campaigns that'll drive more leads into the company. We're not retaining our customers. Okay, that's a problem. Let's do some campaigns so customers really understand the value of our products. You know, that, so that's what any good marketer has to focus on to be able to drive, deliver you know, the maximum value out of the function for the company.
0: Wow. And one last final question. I think you know what it's gonna be. If Park Mobile was a celebrity, who would it be and why?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we, we would not, um, even the word celebrity for Park Mobile is kind of funny because we're, we're not, um, we don't see ourselves as, you know, a glamorous brand by any means, right? Um, we're not a, a passion brand for, for most people. Um, you know we are we are very functional. We're a utility. Um, so when when I think about uh, who, what celebrity would we be, we're not gonna we're definitely not like um, Harry Styles or Taylor Swift or these people that are kind of out there in the spotlight. We kind of operate, you know, kind of behind the scenes a bit. Um, and but we're we're smart, right? We're a smart solution. You know, um, so I always go to uh, the celebrity uh, would be Alex Trebek right? He's the game show host. He, he coordinates. He's very smart. Um, but it's not really about him. It's about the, the people that are on the stage. You know, they're really the stars. And Alex Trebek is kind of in the background, um, just, you know, facilitating the show. He's the, the utility of, of Jeopardy, right? And I, I, I think we look at our business that way, too. Uh, you know, in the best case, um, people take out the Park Mobile app, pay, and put us away. And that's it. It's a it's a very quick interaction, and and we like it that way. Um, and so so yeah, that's that's what I think about when I think about you know celebrities or, or famous people. I think we're more like the the Alex Trebek's of the world. Um, yeah,
0: you're dependable. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. This was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Um,
1: yeah. Thank you so much. All right, Catherine. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>